Hi guys, Dylan Hartley here. Welcome back to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Live. You might have noticed that we've changed things up a bit this season, and today I'm joined by not one, but two Red Roses. This week, it's all about the women running out for England, hot off the back of their back-to-back Grand Slam success. I'm pleased to say I've got Amy Cocaine and Sarah Beckett with me. Um, how is life in camp? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, we just come in this morning, had our COVID test done, um, and then ready for a day of training ahead. So you are current Six Nations champions and holders. Quite a strange 2020 for everyone, but I can imagine for you as a sports team, kind of uh, playing in France in that heat, then going up to Scotland playing in a, a, a cyclone <laughs> or a storm, and then having eight months off to then win the tournament without even playing a game. Uh, quite a strange year for you guys as a team. Yeah, I think the Six Nations, yeah, like you said, the heat and then the snow was just two contrasting um, situations. But I think as a team, you always want to test yourselves in different conditions and see if you can be a dry weather team and a wet weather team. So to be able to do that within a space of a week was probably quite good for us. And then I didn't even realise it was an option that we could have won it at the weekend. So I sat there watching the Scotland game and then it was all just chat of, oh, I think we've just won Six Nations now. And it was just a bit weird. But then there's all messages in the group and stuff. So um, yeah, definitely a weird one. Definitely one to remember. So for, for you guys in 2020, having that massive gap in between games... How did you guys like stay connected? How did you stay busy? How did you stay aligned in your sort of thought process to come out of it? Um, I think we did quite, like, especially in lockdown, in the whole lockdown period, we stayed connected by, I think everyone had a Zoom call. We did review on our games. And then as soon as we've come back into camp, it feels sort of like we never left, I think. Like we've come back in, we've, we were all focused on the next job that we had to do and coming back in. And obviously we had some new girls come in from the Sevens programme and some new girls... Um, come in from the Premier 15 so it was cool to get to know them as well. Did you enjoy that sort of period and like in terms of did you feel like an individual sports person because you got to run your own programs for a period there and train at home in your own time or is that something that you guys are kind of accustomed to? I absolutely love lockdown. I turned my uh, garage into a bit of a gym, got to do my own programme. Absolutely set up. Don't tell me I season did my own programme, but um, yeah, I loved it. You know, got to do what you want when you wanted. If you, unlike, you weren't thinking about, oh, I've got a game at the weekend, so I've got to be fresh. Like, if you absolutely ruined yourself in a session, there was no consequence. You just got up the Apart next day. And, yeah, <laughs> got up the next day and did it again. So, you know, you could really like, have fun, I would say, like with your, with your training, which was really refreshing for myself. That, that resonates with me because whenever you're told to do something, it doesn't feel as, as good, does it? But I remember when coaches gave us kind of free time or optional weights or optional training, everyone would turn up, like 100%, everyone would turn up and do it. But when you can choose what you want to do and how to apply yourself, it's so much more enjoyable. I'm pretty lucky. So at home at my dad's house was where I spent lockdown. We had like a watt bike and some weights anyway, so I could get a good few sessions done there. But I think... Girls have been creative with their programs. Um, we don't all have that equipment, and some girls were limited to like some kettlebells. Um, so I think some real creativity with programming and how to keep yourself fit. Um, but I also think that was what kept it fresh, and you know we had a good time creating our own sessions and having to be creative in what we were doing. Oh, we actually had a fitness testing as well in the middle yeah, of lockdown, oh so we had to like film ourselves doing all the, the exercises that they sent. So. Like obviously, we, we did the 1,200-metre run, and you just had to send your time, I think. You, um, you had to video it to yeah. make sure that we'd done it and we weren't cheating. Yeah. 
I think all that stuff um, breeds that sort of resilience and only, only you guys can kind of like drive your careers and your training. So I think that's, that's really cool. But um, Sarah, you, you obviously went back home. Is that the same place you grew up down the road, uh, down the road from Waterloo? Yeah, yeah. So um, my dad still lives down the road from Waterloo. So that's where I spent lockdown. So it's pretty good. Um, could go to the rugby club and do my running sessions there. Um, but no, it's pretty good. It's handy to have a pitch there and somewhere to go and do like skills or running. Hang on, let, let, let's get into that a bit more. It's literally on the same road, right? Yeah, as in like it would take me three minutes to walk to the rugby club. So what, what's, the, what's the family ties? Like how, how did you kind of get into rugby? Um, I know your family's kind of involved down at, at Waterloo. Yeah, I know. I was never forced into doing it or I think it was actually me who brought it up to say, oh, I'd really like to play. But my brother was playing rugby down at Waterloo. He played there since he was five. And I was there on a touchline every Sunday morning and just decided that I wanted to get involved. And I think that's a pretty similar story to the girls who started playing when they were younger. A lot of them have been there where their brothers are playing and just thought, oh, well, I may as well get involved. Um, but my family ties there. So my granddad on my mum's side, um, he was the president of Waterloo and played for Waterloo. My dad played for Waterloo um, and he's the chairman of the mini and junior section now. My brother played at Waterloo. My uncle played at Waterloo. That's where my mum and dad met at the rugby club. So, yeah, it's pretty much... <laughs> Pretty much my, my sort of home club. Well, it sounds like a bloody dynasty down It's like the two ladies <laughs> at Leicester. No, not at all. Amy, for you, similar, similar to myself, you, you obviously got some Kiwi roots there. What, what about your sort of story, your, your upbringing, how you, how you got to the game? And Yeah, uh, so obviously moved out to New Zealand when I was nine, but I already played rugby back in England, similar to uh, Beckett, my brother played. I had to go and watch his training sessions and just probably annoyed his age group coach by trying to join in too much so then they chucked me down to my own age group and then yeah like you say I went to New Zealand and it's the only thing to do isn't it so it's like a way of life so yeah uh, played for a little club called Bulls in the uh, uh, Rangatiki then moved to Fielding High School in the in one or two played there played with some amazing people had amazing coach and kind of really instilled that like professional side of rugby and like standards on and off the pitch that kind of drove me to move back to England really to try and pursue this dream. Do you think um, you know, New Zealand, your, your kind of upbringing or your experience playing rugby in New Zealand put you in good stead? Like you, you touched on it there, kind of the professional kind of standards that were instilled in you from an early age. Anything else that kind of helped you on your journey? When I played in New Zealand, I used to play for my school on a Sunday and my like women's club on a Saturday. So I was like 13, like year nine at high school, playing with women's and like, you know, playing against Blackferns um, from the age of like 13, which is just like, if you come over here, I then moved over here and I was 17 and they wouldn't even let me play in the women's grade. And I was like, I've just been smashed for years <laughs> against Blackferns. I think I can play women's rugby here. So thankfully got a dispensation to play women's rugby over here um, at 17, which wasn't allowed at the time, but is allowed now. Um, so I think just those experiences of being absolutely ran over by bigger, stronger women from such a young age kind of makes you grow up a bit and definitely would not be the player I am if I hadn't grown up over there, definitely. That's madness. Like I, I always played a year ahead of myself or a year young and I thought that put me in good stead, but you're playing like 10 years young. That's, yeah, that seems yeah, madness. And I was front row as well, so um, definitely got smashed, taken off the ground a few times in the front row, playing against, like, so I played for Fobo, like Field and Old Boys, and um, Ruth Mackay, she was a Blackburn prop, she played for Keir Tor down the road, 
So like that was the big derby game. We were like the two top teams, and um, yeah, she definitely ruined me a few times in some scrums. <laughs> Made me get a bit better in my scrummaging. This is Jamie George, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Do you know what? Like I've um, I've obviously seen you guys play, and I've followed you guys alongside when we were playing. And Amy, I honestly thought you were older. Don't be uh, It's not the sort of thing you say to a lady, you know, but um, you, you've amassed a lot of games and you're still only 24. But um, for, for Sarah, you're obviously a bit younger and, and still I was, I was actually amazed at how many caps you've amassed in such a short time. So when did you get capped? Were you 18, um, 19? Yeah, I was 19 when I first got capped. My first cap was November 2018. You now have a chance, you know, with, with the game, like England women's, you're like the trailblazers, like you're pioneering into full-time, you know, contracts and stuff like that. Is this a viable career for you going forward, like to throw yourself into from such a young age? Yeah, I think so. I think it's amazing now that girls who are seven when I started playing can look up and think, oh, one day I want to be a professional rugby player. And I think the game's only going in one way and I think it's only going up and going to become more positive and there's going to become more media and stuff around it and I think that will help grow the game and grow the professionalism of the game I think from the league as well it's become so much more professional even in the three years that it's been around already like the change from that first year to the third year and now into the fourth year is, is palpable and I think you see that reflected in younger girls coming through into the squad earlier so like you've got more when Italian who's come into the squad um, she was 17 when she started training with us and you know for a second row that's unbelievable well, for anybody, never mind a second row. So look at Amy nodding over there, going, "That's cute." I was thirteen. <laughs> I had twenty caps yeah. by then. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's the RFU are doing an, an amazing job at trailblazing and leading the way in women's rugby. And I think there's got to be calls on the rest of the unions to sort of try and catch up and give their women a chance to do what we're doing. And Amy, for you, like I know you're still young, but you've seen. I suppose, that transition from amateur grassroots to, to full-time professionalism. What, what's your experience of, of that in, in, your kind of, in your time? I think it's obviously amazing, the transition. You know, when I first went into an England camp, it was like back in 2014, and it was like people had to take weeks off work. And it was like they're in camp all week, get the weekend off and you're back in camp all week. But people still had jobs, so they were just saying, can I have six weeks off work? It's just like nuts. So I think we're in such a privileged position now to, to this be our job. I would just probably err on the side of caution that we don't kind of fall into the problems that maybe the men's side have of we've got young people like Beckett coming into, oh, well, have this job of being a full-time rugby player that then don't go and have anything outside of rugby and don't have any qualifications. And, you know, we're not on long-term contracts in this job. So in a year, two, whatever it is, you could, it could be gone. And if you don't kind of set yourself up for something outside of rugby, I think it could be a huge problem for quite a few people that we don't just sell these young kids the dream of, here, be a professional rugby player without kind of pushing them into having something outside. Like, having something outside of rugby was huge for myself. Like, I took a year or two out to, uh, to do something else because I just felt rugby was too much of my entire life. And I think you have to do that to be in this environment, but... It can't be your whole life because it can be quite a dark place sometimes if you let it be. So I would say we've got to push to get girls something outside of rugby as well, definitely. That's, that's, that's great. Like You guys are almost um, the perfect example to the men because the game's been you know, full-time professional for so long with the men. Like, do you know what? And I lived through it. 
it makes you lazy in so many ways about what the real world's like. I mean, you're, you're driven, you're professional, you do all these things, but it makes you really naive to how the real world kind of acts. And I was thinking that the fact that you guys are free now to train and compete and not worry about taking time off work is great, but also drives competition. Like there's going to be young whippersnappers coming for you guys. And I mean, I know you're both still young, but there'll be competition for places. So you can't kind of rest on your laurels, can you? You've got to keep pushing. Um, I'm kind of interested about your your work career, Amy, at RAF. Yeah. I, I just know nothing about it. Like, tell us, tell us what, what you do. Like, do you fly like fighter jets? Or <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm basically Top Gun. So I'm just like Tom Cruise. That's what my job is. No, joking. <laughs> um, so I'm actually in uh, the Air Force Police. I obviously went through my officer training, which was uh, six months up in Cranwell, and then did uh, six months down in Portsmouth to do my police training. And then, fortunately, the Air Force allowed me to take my England contract again and um, have released me, basically, on elite athlete status to fulfil this England contract. But um, in my contract, it says I have to be released to play my two inter-service games for the Air Force. So we obviously play the Army and the Navy each year big huge competition I've played it in about five years now we've only won it once yeah the Air Force has been huge and, and that was really important for me like coming off the back of 2017 being contracted for that period and life was rugby 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 and when when we fell short at that last hurdle of, of the final and not winning it was kind of like it was such a big down and um, I just thought I can't let myself be this in, in like just rugby 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 so took a year out and just sorted myself out did the Air Force, and it was probably the best thing for me. Came back to rugby, really hungry to like train and play and make myself better again. So I probably added a few years onto my career. Brilliant! It's, it's great to hear that sort of um, perspective, I suppose. See, you're, you're wise. You're you're old and wise. You see. <laughs> I don't know if many people would agree with you, but yeah, I'd agree sometimes. <laughs> Sarah, what, what about you? Like, um, you obviously. Still, still young. Have you got balance in, in your life? What, what do you get up to outside of footy? Um, I can't say at the moment. I do. I think this year I feel like it's really important for me to just focus on doing the best job that I can, um, especially in the position that I'm playing. Like, There's so much competition, and I think for now I need to focus on rugby and being the best rugby player that I can. But you know, my parents growing up always emphasised how important school was, so I got my A-levels like... So that if I wanted to go and do something in the future, like I can go and do something, hopefully. And then, yeah, I mean, I've been looking into courses and stuff to do just to occupy my free time, really. Um, like, obviously, camps are very high intensity environment, but you do get quite a bit of downtime um, because you can't train all day, every day. Um, so, yeah, finding something to do and looking into different sort of avenues that I might want to go down when I'm a bit older or want to do something after my rugby career. There's, there's like two different um, points there. So you're a bit younger. You're saying throw yourself into rugby, which I totally agree with. I think you're you're young enough to give a good crack of this. Whereas Amy, you're a bit more established and you've found that balance and you've learned that having things outside of rugby is good for you. I went and spoke to all the academy graduates or academy intake. And I think the RPA wanted me to say, make sure you're studying, make sure you're doing all these things outside of rugby. And I said the opposite. I said it 17, 18, 19, throw yourselves into it. Like you've got a year or two to, to make a good crack of it. And if you establish yourself, like you can find balance a bit like you, you're saying, Amy. 
But um, if it doesn't work out, you're still young enough to, to go study, to pick up a, you know, apprenticeship or, or work out your life. You know, you're only 19, 20, you've still got time. So I agree with both of you. Um, just quickly, Sarah, have you ever thought about um, a singing career? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I actually don't like doing it in front of people. So I don't think that would go down very well for me. Just be like, see her and wear, those, wear a <laughs> face her. cover at all times. <laughs> One of your friends, I'm not going to drop them in it, but they said, don't judge her by her talking voice. <laughs> who was that? Yeah, who was that? <laughs> who was we it? names. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you off, off camera, I can't commit to it live. But no, I, I hear you're quite the, um, quite the singer. Nah, not really. I think, I've, I think I've been overrated. I think everyone's come in and been like, oh, you're quite good. So then it blows up. You know what I mean? Like when somebody's like half good at something, you're like, oh, you've got something other than rugby that you're half yeah. decent at. So. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's pretty good. She did a, a good uh, Jolene video during lockdown and I think everyone was pretty shocked by it and perked a few people up. Okay, so... Um, on the subject of singing, uh, my daughter has actually wrote some questions. I said, I'm talking to two ladies rugby players today. And she was like, what are you going to ask them? And I was like, I don't know. So she's wrote you a couple of questions here. And this is a five-year-old's handwriting. Oh. <laughs> it's not so mine. Cute. It's not mine. And question number two is, what song do you sing? And what is the song? So obviously... We know what song we sing. We, we, we both sang the national anthem. But you know when you're lined up, is it good, Amy, standing next to Sarah, or do you avoid standing next to someone that sings so well? I think I personally would avoid it because I'm such a foghorn. Like, I'm just loud, so out of tune, just trying to carry it through with some passion, not necessarily any talent. People would probably avoid me and I should probably just be at the other end doing my own thing. I actually really, I think the National Anthem is a really hard song to sing. Like, I can't work out what key it's in, where I should start. Lark Davis is really good at singing it, so I don't really like standing next to her because she shows everyone up. But I generally stand next to Jess Breach and Zoe Harrison. And Zoe Harrison is possibly the worst person to see, like, to stand next to while singing the anthem. You might have seen the Twitter beef that's going on at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, I haven't. Please tell me more. <laughs> um, so I think they did like a O2 like, inside, line, inside thing. line thing. And they were like, who's the worst singer? So I retweeted it like it's 100% Zoe Harrison. <laughs> and she's gone out and taken a picture at, at um, a well-known petrol station. Which is, it's apparently something to do with beef that Storms in another rapper had that she sent me a picture of. So, and she said, I've got 24 hours to reply. So, well, you, you've got the platform now to out her and just, you know, basically stitch her up and take this to the next level if you want, you know. I just think we should find a clip of when we've gone through, you know, when oh, the camera, the camera goes, goes through yeah. and when it focuses on Zoe and it's like, God save her. That's literally uh, what she sounds like. Okay, um, I'm just writing a note here. Find Zoe and clip that. National Anthem for me was always quite an emotional time. Uh, for some reason, I always thought about my drivers, like my family trying to do them proud and things like that. So I'm kind of, I was always happy it was like a short song. The anthem was kind of short and concise. But my, my kind of problem was, is like at home at Twickenham, when you've got 86,000 people with you, it's all good. You can go all out. You can really go for it. But when you go to an away ground 
and they always muck up like the soundtrack. I don't know if they do it on purpose or whatnot, or they get some weird version like number six on Spotify, National Anthem, like they go down, they get like some acoustic version or something. I always found it way harder to commit. Yeah, any experiences like that for you guys? In um, San Diego, they played like, when we were out in the Super Series, they played like the first verse and then they kept playing it but we don't know the next, well, we don't sing the next verse. So we were like... So you were like, jackets off, go warm well, up. It and just it kept playing going. and we were like, we don't know the words. <laughs> um, so we just sort of stood there until they turned it off. That's awful, yeah. I once played for um, under 20s and we were playing against Canada and um, there was just no sound system. So they were like, just sing it. <laughs> so we were just stood there just like... Just sing it. Oh my God. And we're like, no one could start. And it was awful. It was like the worst national anthem ever. So then we actually had to do a practice of just singing because we were playing them again. They're like, there won't be a sound system again. So we had to like do a practice of who's going to like basically lead it and everyone just follow them. And it was awful. It was like Canada sung theirs really well and we were just like embarrassed the nation. So it was practice. I think the hardest thing is because you're in a line, you can't get timing. It's not like you're in a circle and you can all see each other and bounce off each other. I always struggle with the soundtrack as well because... I feel like we hear it faster or we sing faster than we hear it and then we're out of time and, yeah. So I always kind of imagine that a woman's rugby team would be far better at singing than the men's team. It's fake news. That is actually fake, fake news, yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Willie Hines, England Scrum Half, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. If you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to show the podcast some love by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So we, we play the same game, or I did play that game, men's, women's, but how, in your opinion, is the game different for you guys? You can only kind of draw on your own experiences or your own opinions, but there's things in like the, the training week, like, do you guys have to do your hair? Like, when do you, like, that doesn't happen in the men's game. No one does like, you guys braid your hair and stuff like that, right? We had a chat, I can't remember whether it was last Six Nations or something, but we had like an early kickoff and... Obviously, you go through your prep and your meals and whatever else. And we were like, well, when are we going to do our hair? Like, when, when are we going to have the time to do our hair? And we had to talk to the coaches about putting a bit in the schedule where we could have a break so that we could all get our hair done. We also, one year, had injuries. So say we've got two girls on the team that can plait. Like, they weren't in the team for whatever <laughs> reason, not selected or injured or whatever. And we were like, we've literally got no one that can plait hair. Um, and we were playing up in Doncaster. So someone got in touch with the Doncaster women's team and was like, does anyone in your team plait hair? And then, um, they yeah, they had a hairdresser. <laughs> so she came into camp and plaited our hair for us. And then she came to quite a few games, that Six Nations, because we just didn't have anyone on the team that could do it. Surely, you know, some, like a physio or a, a team manager, someone needs to upskill themselves there. Yeah, I know. It needs um, to be like a job. We need... Maybe that can be my next yeah, thing outside yeah, of rugby. That. Maybe that can be my skill that I learn. Okay, so you've gone to the coaches. You've asked them to put a hairdressing or a hair braiding session into the schedule why my hair gets in my face otherwise and you can't see the ball <laughs> um yeah. yeah I think it's it's one to make you feel I think it's part of my personal prep to feel ready for the game like I like my hair a certain way to play the game and that's me getting starting to get into my match day this is what I'm doing um but yeah it's just also functional that it doesn't get in your eyes or your face but that yeah. that's like the whole team isn't it 
Yeah. I've played a few games where I haven't had it done or I've had it done but only like half and then my hair's come out and I've got quite long hair and I'm like running around the pitch like Shabao, like can't see anything. <laughs> I have no idea how we played like that because I'm like, I can't see. I'm trying to carry like hairs everywhere. It's literally the worst thing. So and my mum always has a go at me when I don't get it done because she's like, you look messy. Brilliant. I have the same kind of um, predicament in my house when my wife isn't home or she's out early and I've got to take my daughter to school. She just has to wear a hat. I can't do her hair. So it's like you just put a beanie on and you'll be all right. Just, just don't take your hat off all day. Just trick, isn't it? Where you like put the hoover on the hair to put a ponytail. <laughs> if that's a tip, you know, I can yeah, get Henry yeah, out. Put the hair tie on the hoover pipe, then you suck the hair up, then you just take the, the, uh, the bobble off. There you go, job done. It's probably the most kiwi thing I've ever heard from a woman. Just hoover your hair. <laughs> Practical, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That sort of insight to me is just mind-blowing to make time in the schedule to get your hair. Like in every team that I've been in, there's always people that don't care about their parents and then you've got vanity. And I'm sure in a woman's team, there is, is there, is there fake tan? Is there gelaration? Is there all these things going on? Yeah, I think Vicky Fleetwood's probably the top of that list by far, like makeup, hair, everything. She loves it. Does that ever streak? You know, in a, in, a, in a wet game or something, does it start to... No, I think, I think, I think she's, she's invested in some real good fake tan over yeah. here. She's got the, the recipe just right, I think. Yeah. So she's normally looking pretty good for it. There's also girls who um, in camp bring their, like, nail kits in. So, like, they can do our nails in, like, shellac so it doesn't chip in the game and stuff. Yeah, like Davies is, like, the nail girl. She yeah, was, like, she's a doing everyone's nails. <laughs> So you've got shellacking and hair braiding sessions. Is there anything else that happens? What, what about like the game itself? Do you see any differences when you watch men's rugby to, to women's rugby? When you're, when you're kind of analysing or, or just watching as a, as a fan, do you, do you see any major differences? Um, I think in men's rugby, there's, it's a lot more, I don't want to say a lot more collision-based because obviously we have collisions and they're big collisions as well. But I think... Ours is more about the tempo that we can play at and the speed and our skill, our basic skills. Whereas men's is, I, I don't know if this is, it's just my opinion, but um, like men go in and just absolutely smash the ball up as many times as possible. And you know, we, I think we, we try and play a bit more edge to edge or kicking game and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know. That's just my opinion. Do you know what? I actually agree with you. But do you think that's down to time and space available to you guys? Do you think defences are as aggressive in your game? I think it's a good question. I think I think it's we've had to adapt because I don't think well we're we're not as big as men because we're women. But um, you don't you don't need to be, right? Because yeah. you're you're playing against women. Of course. So like collisions aren't as big, but I think that that could be a factor that defences aren't as aggressive or we're coached in slightly different ways or we want to do it a different way. Um obviously we come up against defences who are more aggressive than others and you have to adapt to that. So I think in ways, yes, and in ways, no. Amy, what about you? Have you got any sort of observations? I think probably quite similar to Beckett. Um, I think there was like stats of like ball in play time and like uh, there was like 10 minutes more ball in play time for a woman's game than a men's game, uh, which I think is quite interesting. Why is that? I'm not really too sure, but um, I think there's not, there are not massive differences. Obviously, it's just, it is slightly different, isn't it? But I think at the end of the day, we're, we're all playing rugby, you know, we still... Like you get those like awful questions like, oh, do you play like normal rules and like, yeah, yeah is, like do you go up and line outs? People's like illusion around women's rugby is quite interesting, but um, yeah, we do we play all the same laws, all the same stuff. So 
but yeah, maybe not as collision-based as a men's game. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. <laughs> do you think as you guys, um, the longer you are full-time professional, do you think you're going to get bigger, faster, stronger? Because um, that's what happened to the men's game, you know? Like over time, like the, the athlete changed and then the game changed to like that collision base that we see now. Like, um, do you think it's going to happen to you guys? You're going to turn into like, some sort of like super freak athletes? I think it, we've already sort of changed slightly. Like when I first started playing women's or like came over and started I was about 75 kilos I'm now 90 kilos but I still have to have the same output so I still got to run as fast and be as fit as as that 75 kilo player now at 90 so I think we are already seeing that shift we went through um, a shift maybe like two years ago when they were like the forwards need to put on 10 kilos each and everyone needs to be massive so I think we kind of went through that phase and everyone put on a bit of timber but I think we're now trying to find that balance of Maybe I don't run as fast at 90 as I did at 75, so... Jeez, I wish my coach said that to me. Like, my USP, my specialist thing was to put on weight. I could do it in a weekend. I could do three or four kilos easy. So, like, my whole career was, like, trying to keep weight off. Oh, no, do you know any female rugby players with cauliflower ears? No. No. Uh, Shan Williams, she's a Welsh girl. She always tapes her ear because she was... Like starting to get one. Yeah, I had to tape mine in Six Nations. But then she tapes it now. Who's hard? Like, who's hard? You know, like, not not hard, like, as in fighting, but who's tough? Like, who takes knocks and just keeps going? Who who goes to training without a waterproof or waterproof bottoms on? Like, who's that person that... Beckett trains in a vest all year round, like, all year. So you're tough. (laughs) No, I just get really hot when I start running round. I think I've got, like, thermoregulation issues or something because I get (laughs) so hot. (laughs) What about someone that's not in the room? Is there someone that's that's tough, like, just... I think Zoe Zoe Allcroft. Yeah, Yeah, Zoe Zoe Allcroft. 100%. She's one I'd want in the trenches with me. She just grafts and grafts and, like, never asks for anything for it. She just sticks her head in places that you don't want your head to be in and she never asks for any recognition, but she does such a great job. Yeah, and like she played through some quite significant injuries in the past as well, like where other people would have gone, absolutely not, I'm not doing any more training. She's like, oh, it's fine, I'll just crack on. Like got like stress response in both her feet, her legs, everything. It's like, oh, it's fine, I'll just play eight minutes again. (laughs) Every week. Just lift me in the line out and drop me, it's fine. I've just got like broken legs. (laughs) This is one one more genuine question. Who's like your enforcer? You know, like... There's not like an overt enforcer anymore like that goes around whacking people in games. But you know when training just like ramps up sometimes, who's that person that just, you know, puts someone in place or keeps someone in check? Like Marco Vonopola would do that uh, with the men's team. If people were, if it's like 50% and people are going 100%, Marco would drop a shoulder and put someone on their ass. Like have you got someone that would enforce that or have you just got a really respectable team that respect the rules of 50%? Oh, no, it's not respected. Like 50% is full on, isn't it? 50% yeah. Yeah. is... I think somebody like a Packer or an Abbey Ward or a Poppy Cleo. Yeah. Like any any of those, I'd put money on to enforce something pretty heavily. Yeah, I'd probably say Abbey Ward as well. Like a few times she's kind of pulled everyone up and been like... What are we doing? What's that? That's not good enough. She's definitely holds herself to very high standards and tries to enforce that on the rest of us. Hi, I'm Tom Curry, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Growing up for, for you, uh, Beckett, can I call you Beckett? I feel like we're friends now. Yeah, of course you can. Who, who did you look to as, as your inspiration? Because you've obviously got Santa, but when are you going to kind of shunter Santa? When are you going to... Hey. 
push push the old girl to the side and uh no, no, my, my point is, like, who were your role models? Who were your inspiration? Did you look to, to men's rugby and women's rugby? Or did you just look at, at one product and, and go, I want to do that, I want to be that? My, my reality was I didn't watch that much women's rugby. Like, rugby was a big part of my family. And I knew about women's rugby because Waterloo had a women's rugby side. And Jill Burns um, was at Waterloo, obviously, won the World Cup with England. Um, and she was my head of house at school. Um, obviously played the same position as me. So she was a big inspiration to me growing up. Um, always had advice when I wanted it. She's a very wise woman. But yeah, I think my actual role model was my brother, my older brother, Charlie. He is a professional rugby player as well. And like seeing what he did um, to get into that environment to become a professional rugby player was inspirational to me. And I think having somebody that close to home who you can draw inspiration from really helped. But then obviously when I've come into the setup, you know, having somebody like Santa definitely doesn't hurt. Um, like way over 100 caps worth of experience. You can call her old if you want. <laughs> no, 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 never. She's old and wise. She, she's well experienced. And having somebody like that to learn from and to develop from is amazing. I mean, it's, it's stuff that you can't even, well, you can't pay enough money for really, like... Some people don't get that chance and I'm lucky enough that somebody in my position um, has been that good. You know, she's been World Player of the Year and she was definitely that for a reason and she continues that form now. So, yeah. Do you guys watch a lot of rugby? I love it. I think even like in lockdown, uh, the first sport that kind of came back was NRL. And like I used to watch it all the time growing up in New Zealand, you know, league's huge. So even just watching like all sports, but like when cricket came back, but just love it. But at the weekends, yeah, I literally spent all weekend just watching... Like even my 10 cup back in New Zealand, get that on Sky. Yeah, just watch it all. I love it. <laughs> do, do you watch it as a fan or are you watching it as like, um, like a student? Yeah, I think I watch as a fan sometimes and then sometimes I watch. So like growing up when I watched with my dad and my brother, we used to pause the game every like 10 seconds or something to say, how has he got there or what's this doing or why has this impacted the next phase and stuff like that. Um, so I think I've learned how to watch it as a student, but sometimes it's just nice to watch it as a fan and have a chat with your mates and enjoy your game. Amy, what, what about you? Like, you've obviously been playing a long time now. Who were you looking to? Who inspired you to, to kind of play hooker? Actually, you, you converted, didn't you? You used to be a back. Didn't we oh, all? When I was didn't younger, we yeah. all? <laughs> no, I never was. You know, I was always a forward. Um, but no, Amy, you, you converted to hooker. Like, who, who put you there? Was that your own doing? or? Um... Uh, basically, I could throw the ball in. Because uh, I used to do javelin and stuff as a kid, so I was always quite good at throwing. And then I, yeah, got into under-13s, uh, like rep rugby, uh, for Manawa 2, and they needed a hooker. So they were like, yeah, Amy, you're now a hooker. So that was it. And then I was still playing at school, obviously. So I was kind of like playing number eight, but then throwing the ball in the line-out still. So played a bit of a mixture whilst in the game. Who did you look at to learn to throw? Because like, throwing is hard, right? You've got to find your own way, but you've obviously got to look at people and model yourself on something. Who, who did you kind of um, learn to throw from? Oh, definitely you, Dylan. You know, you're just such an inspiration. It was just, <laughs> just, I just thought, yeah, that's what I want to be. <laughs> no, I think it's a really interesting one. I think throwing so personal, and like you said, you have got to find your own way. Like, um, I've gone through periods of time where coaches have been like, oh, you've got to stand like this, hold it like this, put your elbows like this, knees like this. And it's just, I think I've gone away from that and just gone, I've got to be comfortable in the way I throw the ball and have that you know that feeling of like that was a good ball or um this feels comfortable and I can repeat that and I know what's going to happen to the ball basically when I've released it and you know like as a hooker you know as soon as you've released it you know if it's a good ball or not 
Every time, own. Amy. Every time. I just, <laughs> just knew it was going to be good. Yeah. And you just got to find that way to replicate it. And I think that's more important than having looking like a perfect picture. Um, I've done quite a lot of work with quite a few young girls and they're all still like, I've got to have my elbows in here and like be bent. And I'm just like, no. Do you feel comfortable when you're doing that? No, you don't. Girls, um, to end the pod, we're going to flip it on its head. You get to ask me a question. Uh, I've got a question for you. Is there anything in your career that you, not necessarily regret, but if you could go back, you would change it? Yeah, good, good, good question. Well done. That's deep. That's deep. I was just going to be like, who's your favourite? <laughs> I, I think everything that happened in my career kind of drove me or pushed me or gave me those learnings to, to ultimately grow as a person. And now that I'm finished, you know, I feel like I'm pretty well-rounded and I got to experience winning, losing, disciplinaries, injuries, all these things. But the one thing that kind of eats away at me is losing a European Cup final. Uh, an unbeaten season in, in, in the Heineken Cup. And then to go into the final and to be up 21 points at half time to then lose the game, that kind of eats away at me. That kind of haunts me. But, but saying that, you've got, to, you've got to remember, and you guys know this, losses on the big stage only drive you forward. And then Northampton, we went on to, to, to win a couple of things post that event. So I think that kind of galvanised and spurred the team on. But now that I'm finished, I know I'll never have that Heineken Cup medal, you know, it, it kind of eats away at me. Good question. Yeah, that was a good question. I don't know what to ask. But you can ask me something really simple if you want. It doesn't have to be deep, <laughs> deep and emotive. If you want to make it as simple as possible, like, that Please ask me something simple. <laughs> What's my favourite colour? <laughs> um, what do you think is, like, the next step for women's rugby and um, how do you think we can help that, like, push, push it on? Genuine, I, I love this because... I told my daughter this morning um, that I was talking to you guys, but I think your, your job is to, to trailblaze and to pioneer and to become those role models. Not saying you're not doing that now, but to be more visual. And I think things like O2, kind of creating more content with you guys, making you guys more accessible. Like I asked you who was your inspiration that got you into it, and you were just very fortunate that you had um, a school teacher and someone at your rugby club that had played for England. I want my daughter to watch you guys on TV. I want to see more content from you guys. I want you guys to be more accessible. So I think you just got to keep doing what you're doing, kind of throw yourselves into that full-time professionalism and just, I don't know, just inspire and, and do what you do. Because when, when you're a dad and you've got a daughter, I want her to have the option to play whatever she wants, you know? And if that's rugby, I, I want her to... To, to be inspired by by you guys. So just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, trailblaze and inspire. Keep going, gals. <laughs> uh, ladies, Sarah and Amy, thank you for joining me. Thank you for the insight. Uh, I wish you well for the upcoming tournament. Good luck for the rest of the year. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed the pod this week, remember to drop us a rating and a review. I'll be back with more chat from the England camp next Tuesday. Remember to join me then. <laughs> <laughs>